This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 27, Arjun Goes to Heaven. Last time, we heard Krishna's excuse for not protecting his friends at the dice game. It turned out he was out of town making war against a flying city and didn't find out about the dice game until it was too late. At least we got a stirring fight scene out of it, and how could we have ever transitioned into the age of Kali if not for the dice game that led to the war in Kurukshetra? After Krishna and his allies had all departed for home, leaving the Pandavas alone with their wife, Draupadi really lit into them for being so sheepish. Our heroes had been in the woods for over a year by this point, and Draupadi had refused to braid, comb, or wash her hair until she had first cleansed it in Dushasana's blood. By now, she must have had the appearance of one of the Furies. The remainder of that episode consisted mostly of Draupadi's complaints and Yudhishthira's philosophizing. Perhaps suspecting fractures among the brothers, Vyasa hurried over to help out. First, he reassured Yudhishthira that they were on the right path, and he then gave them a mission to fulfill for the remainder of their exile. They should seek out weapons of mass destruction. Specifically, Arjun was deputed to head for the northern passes of the Himalayas in search of the weapons from the various gods. Dressed as an ascetic, and yet armed for war, Arjun made his way to the mountains. Because of his already austere life and the magic he had learned from Vyasa, Arjun was able to cross the mountains in a single day. The following day, Arjun reached a region called Indrakila. As he entered, he encountered a sadhu under a tree, who was literally glowing with the power of his austerities. Arjun quickly saw through the man's disguise and knelt before him in due respect to Lord Indra. The god laughed in delight to see his precocious son, saying, Bless you, choose a boon from me. Arjun cut to the chase. The boon I desire from you is to teach me all the magical weapons that exist. Indra replied with mock surprise. You just set foot in paradise, my son, so what need have you for weapons in heaven? Arjun answered ardently, I have no desire for paradise or divinity. If I abandon my brothers in the forest without having revenge, I shall live in infamy for time without end. Indra then stood up, and his tone got more serious. First, you must seek out Shiva, and only then shall I teach you all the weapons of the gods. When you have found Shiva, you shall succeed at all your endeavors, and heaven shall be yours. With single-minded purpose, Arjun then climbed to a mountain peak and began a new round of austerities. For a month, he lived on fruit just once every four days. On the second month, he ate only once every eight days, and on the third month, he only ate once in two weeks, and then only eating fallen leaves. On the fourth month, Arjun lived on just the wind, spending the month with his arms upraised and balancing on the balls of his feet. The power of these austerities sent shockwaves through Devaloka. This upstart was making the Devarishis look bad, and so a group of them went running to their patron, Shiva, to complain. They whined, The mighty Arjun has dedicated himself to impossible mortifications. We are frightened at what he might achieve. Please stop him. Shiva soothed his touchy followers, saying, Don't worry about it. I know what he's after, and he's not in competition with you guys. I'll visit him later today and give him what he desires. After the gaggle of sadhus had all gone back to their huts, Shiva transformed himself into the guise of a mountain man and flew down with a consort of women to Arjun's camp. Coincidentally, a daitya had chosen just this moment to attempt to harass Arjun. The Daitya had turned himself into a magical boar and was charging at the meditating ascetic. Without hesitation, Arjun drew and strung his bow. 
The mountain man called out for Arjun to desist, saying, Hold, I was the first to take aim at this beast. His mind completely focused on his prey. Arjun ignored the warning and fired off an arrow. At precisely the same time, the mountain man also loosed an arrow. The two arrows both struck the foul beast, and the effect was like a lightning strike. The beast died instantly and reverted back to its original Rakshasa appearance. Only then did Arjun look up and see who had fired the other arrow. What he saw was only described as looking like a mountain man, surrounded by beautiful women. Smiling knowingly, Arjun asked him, Who are you? Aren't you scared to be wandering in this dangerous forest with all your women? Why did you shoot at this beast when it was mine? Whether it was an accident or intentional, you will not get away, because it is contrary to the dharma of hunters to shoot another man's prey. For what you have done, you must die, mountain man. The mountain man only laughed and said pleasantly, I saw it first, and was first to take aim, and it was my arrow that killed it. You have insulted me, dummy, and you will not escape me alive. The two then commenced a regular firefight, blasting volleys of iron arrows at each other. After some time, Arjun noticed that his arrows were all striking their targets, but were being absorbed by his opponent. The next thing he noticed was that his famous bottomless quivers were running out of arrows. At this point, it was clear his opponent was no mortal. Arjun began to suspect he was up against a king among the gods. Now out of arrows, Arjun tried beating the man with his bow, but the mountain man took the bow right out of his hands. Arjun then drew his sword, only to break it over his opponent's shoulders. He threw the hilt at the mountain man's head, and it simply shattered on impact. Beginning to wish the fight was over, Arjun picked up rocks and trees and beat the mountain man, but the man was imperturbed. But Arjun was not one to give up. He switched to his wrestling moves and attempted to body slam his opponent. But the mountain man just grabbed him by the shoulders and crushed him into a broken ball of flesh. His limbs mangled, Arjun Palguna lost control of his bowels and fell to the ground. His breathing stopped and he lost consciousness. The great hero, the only hope for victory against evil, Krishna's friend Arjun, was dead at the hands of the Lord of Destruction. The blessed Lord Shiva looked down at the corpse and said, O Palguna, I am pleased with your heroic determination. No mortal has ever checked my might. Open your eyes and look at me, warrior. Now you shall defeat all your enemies. In an instant, Arjun was restored to health. Opening his eyes, our hero beheld Shiva's divine form. He prostrated himself before the god and begged him, Lord of all creatures, forgive my offense. I came to this mountain to find you. Forgive me for fighting you in my ignorance. The god was forgiving, even praising Arjun above all other mortals. Arjun then pressed his luck, asking Shiva for weapons of mass destruction. He said, If it pleases you to grant my wish, then I wish for the Pashupat weapon, which at the end of the eon will destroy the entire world. With this weapon I shall clear the world of Danavas, Rakshasas, and evil spirits. With it I shall fight Bhishma, Drona, and that rude son of a Sutta, Karna. The Lord was in a generous mood, and he granted Arjun's desire. Shiva pointed out that this was his best weapon, and that not even the other gods had this kind of firepower. No one in the three worlds is invulnerable to it. It could be launched with a bow, or a word, or even a glance, or just a thought. The only caution he gave was that Arjun should never use it against lesser opponents. Arjun then kneeled before Shiva and received the secret knowledge. Meanwhile, the sounds of cymbals, trumpets, and drums were heard in all directions, and the earth shook as Arjun manifested the dreadful missile before him. The god raised his hand in blessing and instructed Arjun lovingly, Now you have what you are seeking. 
Now you should go to heaven. Shiva then vanished, leaving Arjun profoundly amazed at having been in the presence of the greatest god. Before the hero could recover from his astonishment, there appeared before him a vast panoply of Hindu divinities, including the gods Kuvera, Varuna, and finally Indra himself. In a thunderous voice, the god Yama of the underworld spoke, Arjun, behold, the world guardians have assembled. We grant you divine eyesight. You are the ancient and mighty sage Nar, who assumed a mortal body at Brahma's request. The god of the dead then went on to recite the deeds Arjun will perform, including ridding the earth of the incarnated demons who had taken the bodies of the world's kshatriyas. He then said, Your fame will last forever because you have matched Shiva himself in battle, and with Vishnu you will lighten the burden of the earth. Take my weapon, the irresistible staff. Arjun accepted the weapon, and then the other gods took turns delivering WMDs to their favorite. Varuna presented his inescapable Varuna nooses. Kubera gave him a spell for invisibility and for putting foes to sleep. Finally, Indra addressed the hero. Strong-armed son of Kunti, you have a very great task to perform for the gods. If you wish to succeed, you must now ascend to heaven, where I shall give you the weapons of the gods. In a flash, all these gods disappeared. But as Arjun's eyes were still adjusting, he saw a fiery chariot approaching. Thinking this magnificent being must be another god, Arjun again prostrated himself, but the rider only laughed. He introduced himself as Matali, Indra's charioteer. He told Arjun that he was to give him a ride up to Indra's world. With some trepidation, Arjun mounted the fiery chariot and they began to ascend up into the sky. As he ascended, he saw thousands of wondrous UFOs, filled with ascended masters, Gandharvas, and Apsaras. Finally, they reached Amaravati, the city of Indra. This was a rarefied land, occupied only by the spiritually accomplished. As Arjun entered the city, he was received with choirs of Apsaras. When Arjun reached Indra's court, the king of the gods stepped down from his throne to greet him. He was, after all, Arjun's father, and so he greeted his son, and with his arm over his shoulders, Indra led Arjun to sit on a throne next to his own. While the Gandharvas sang hymns and the naked Apsaras tried to distract them with their antics, Arjun was accepted with honor in his father's court, where he was served by the gods and instructed in the use of all of Indra's divine weapons. Arjun spent five years like this in Indra's palace. At the end of this time, when Arjun had mastered all the arts of war and destruction, he began to think of his poor brothers swatting mosquitoes in the foothills of Derudun. Noticing his son's despondency, Indra assigned one final task for him to complete during his stay in heaven. He should learn the arts of music and dance from the divine musician Chitrasena. Around the same time, the wandering sage Lomasha arrived at Indra's court, and so the god instructed Lomasha to take a message to the Pandavas. He said, tell them not to worry about Arjun. He is safe and is learning the secrets of music and dance. In the meantime, the Pandavas should purify themselves and visit the pilgrimage sites. Soon enough, they will have a great task to perform on behalf of the gods. That marks the end for now of Arjun's adventures in heaven, because right after this, the story cuts over to King Dhritarashtra, as he learned from Vyasa that Arjun was in heaven gathering WMD. I bet you can guess by now that the blind king's reaction will include much hand-wringing and moralizing, but we'll get into the details next time. Before we go, I have to confess that I changed the story somewhat. The story is actually quite vague on what happened to Arjun at the end of the fight with Shiva. 
It says he was crushed into a ball of flesh and ceased breathing, but it is unclear how dead he really was. We are not told that Shiva revived him, only that he is somehow breathing again and is obviously no longer crushed into a ball of flesh. Considering that at the end of this scene, Arjuna ascends up into heaven, I'm inclined to interpret this as a death and resurrection scenario. I suspect that the text is deliberately vague on this point, but I have no idea why that would be. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.